You're listening to Teaching STEM For Real, a podcast dedicated to for real conversations on educational equity in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics education. I'm your host, Dr. Lena Bakshi-McLean, STEM education disruptor, justice advocate, certified ruffler of feathers, and a wannabe comedian. I'm also the founder of the nonprofit STEM For Real, if you want to explore what anti-racist and socially just instruction looks like in our classrooms, schools, and beyond, for real, you're in the right place. Let's dive right in. Can you believe it? We still have people interested in becoming a teacher. Dr. Samra Suofoa is the Assistant Director of Teacher Education and a Clinical Assistant Professor at Claremont Graduate University. Her positionality as a biracial student athlete born to a Samoan father and white mother on the island of Oahu uniquely informs both her practice and her research. Prior to joining CGU's Department of Teacher Education, Dr. Suofoa's professional experience comprised 20 years of teaching, leadership, and administrative roles in K-12 urban educational settings in both Hawaii and California. I have the privilege of calling this amazing woman my boss as we teach our next generation of teachers. Let's listen. Dr. Samra Sofoa, welcome, welcome to the Teaching STEM for Real podcast. It is such an honor to have you and, and your expertise on here. I would love our audience to learn more about you. I know how awesome you are. I would love to <laughs> them to know how um where how you got on your education journey and what brought you here. Oh yay. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you. Um yeah, so oh my gosh, like I feel like how do you, how do you go all the way back? Um, no, uh, so I you know originally I was born and raised in Hawaii, so didn't leave there until officially leave um, until I went to college. So um, I come from I think like many many teachers, um, a family of educators. Um, my sister is still currently a principal in Hawaii, um, so she kind of had that same trajectory. She's older than I am. And I kind of followed along in some ways. Um, but I also think because of our father, um, who is also an educator, he started as a counselor, a high school counselor, um, and also coached many sports. Um, and so we kind of grew up as like the teacher's kids, right? Like spending long hours on, on a high school campus, waiting for our dad to get out of work, spent a lot of time on the football field when he was coaching. So we were kind of always just immersed in education to some degree. And then, you know, he, as he continued in his career, um, he moved into administrative leadership in the department of education in Hawaii. And at the time in the, you know, late 80s ish um there weren't a lot of pacific islanders in higher education um and so he was one of the first to kind of break through um that 
threshold. And so, you know, I think we think about, or we talk a lot about representation just for the students that we're serving. And that even now there's still not a lot of representation of Pacific Islanders or communities of Oceania in, in leadership roles. Um, and so I think that was just a kind of a natural influencer. He actually told us though, when we went away to college, like whatever you do, do not become teachers. And I think it was just the kind of like explore something else, right? And then both of us just innately chose that path anyway. Um, I, so I went uh, to school, I thought I was gonna be an elementary school teacher forever. I really loved the littles. And then my sister was in high school for the majority of her career. Um, so it was just kind of something that I think obviously influenced us, whether it was consciously or unconsciously. But yeah, that that's really how the path started. And then for my undergrad, I just knew because I grew up in Hawaii that I didn't want to stay there um, going to college. I just felt like I want to explore, you know, figure out what else exists beyond the island. Um, so we both, my sister and I, did our undergrad at a smaller university in Oregon. Um, and then both of us eventually moved back home and started our teaching careers there. Um, she stayed and then I left again. So um, yeah, that's kind of how my path started. So, so much to think about there. And, you know, just this idea of representation and, and we're still, we're still seeing that or not seeing that right. at the HDOE. And, and especially when we're thinking about, uh, for example, the Nahopena uh, framework mm -hmm. that is something that really focuses on Aina-based uh, instruction. And yeah. yet we think about, well, who are the voices that made that framework and how, how many people were invited to the table and was right. it an issue of tokenization or was it an issue of, no, we really want to authentically bring island right. voices. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think it is extremely like still an issue, right? Like not just in the islands, but also in the states. And it's just a matter of like, it's so simple without oversimplifying, but like the power of just having educational settings and spaces that really reflect the kids that are sitting in those seats, right? Yes. So you brought up something interesting about, you know, I, I come from a family of educators also. And that was, I, I was also told the same thing. Or actually, I looked at what my mom was going through. I said, nope, nope, not me. I, I got fired from a tutoring job. I said, okay, this is obviously not in my blood. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember and I remember going to a job fair and I saw Claremont Graduate University and they just made it so easy for post or post undergrads to yeah. say, OK, yeah. well, here's a pathway and, mm -hmm. you know, we'll we'll offer these um, these tools, these scholarships. We we really need teachers. It was during that time. And yeah. So whether you said it was either innately or a great offer, yeah. I kind yeah. of just fell into teaching. Right. And 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 it, which is great. Like I'm so glad that you and your sister ended up as uh, as educators and same same thing with me. However, how with with what's happening now with mm -hmm. teachers and with yeah. recruiting new teachers? Yeah. Are we are we losing our teaching force like what's happening right. in the pre-service right. teaching world yeah I mean it, it, it amazes me that people want to 
<laughs> want to do this job right now. Yes. Um, with you know, without throwing shade or or you know, disrespecting anyone in the profession, because I absolutely believe, you know, I've been out of the K-12 setting for almost four, going on four years now, right? And no matter what position I've held, whether it was leadership in K-12 or you know, now in higher ed, like absolutely the hardest job in education is teaching. Like there's, there's no one that can convince me otherwise. The classroom teacher is like working the hardest. And, and so it just amazes me that after, you know, post COVID or even during COVID, we still had people coming and saying, I want to do this profession. When so many veteran teachers and people who had been doing it for so long were like, I'm ready to tap out, you know, because it was so uncertain. But I think that is also like, the the greatest place to start to disrupt things and so it almost was like a curse and a blessing at the same time because so many things were being disrupted just within the practice of like how do we do this online how do we engage kids how do we make it more meaningful why are so many kids falling away from what we're trying to do right and like are we really spending time teaching things that are meaningful and in ways that are going to engage kids where they want to learn things right like there's no more face-to-face -face personal connection so how do you build that into a like an online or virtual setting so there were so many questions and i think that really provided a space for people who were excited about teaching but also excited about the uncertainty and it was a time where you really could be creative and innovative and i think that's really attractive to a lot of younger folks who are you know we tend to get lots of people now um, and I, I don't know if this is as a result of COVID and everything that was happening, you know, around all of the civic unrest at that time, but I feel like our students kind of come to us with this very innate, like activist spirit, if you will. Yeah. And, and they are very attracted to like, yeah, let's rethink things. Right. Or like, how can we reimagine some of the things that have been done for years? that we know now we have enough research to say some of these things are not good practices, but schools are the places where we continue to perpetuate things and not necessarily because we know they're wrong, but it's just because it's a, a practice that you learn by what was what you experienced, right? So if you learned a certain system or methodology, it makes sense that when you become a teacher, you just keep doing those same things. So I think in terms of the kind of people we're getting, I mean, they're young people, they're fired up, they're super, super, um, super smart, but also just really, really willing to learn and tap into, I think, the humanity of teaching again, which is really nice. And I think it had to happen. Um, so it's really exciting on our front. It's also really challenging, though, because, you know, as veteran teachers, it's like we're learning with them because they're teaching us new tech. I mean, I know many of us were not very well versed in technology and all of the things you could do all of a sudden virtually. And so it's I think it's really kind of leveled the playing field in some in some ways where now it is bi-directional, right? Like the veteran teachers are learning from the newer folks, the pre-service teachers and vice versa. So it's exciting and terrifying at the same time. <laughs> yes, and that's so, that is what is exciting that I'm hearing is that, yes, yay, people are still interested. That's like, whew, yay <laughs> for me. I, I hope to still have a job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's also interesting that you brought up with, with the pandemic, there was this moment as I was teaching pre-service teachers 
I don't know the answer to this. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I'm sitting there learning right there with you. Yeah. And, and that was a moment of vulnerability for me. Like so right. much of pre-service teaching was coming from my experience and, and the tools in my toolkit. And now I'm going in teaching teachers and I don't have that many tools. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it was also, you're preparing people for a profession that many of them had never actually even been in a school. Yeah, like in in the role of a teacher, right? So it was like, yeah, we're teaching them from the lens of having the context that we have, and then realizing like, oh my gosh, they have no context. So it's like there's nothing really to like stick the the learning to. Yeah, I totally agree. And another thing that you brought up is this idea of activism. And Mm -hmm. so when I learned about Claremont, I knew that it was. It was convenient. It was close to home and <laughs> the scholarship sounded great. And it was, it was great. And then I go into this world of learning about teaching and there's a whole framework of critical social justice education and, yeah. and coming into teaching with this idea. And I was like, wow, this is, this is great. And then I go into the field after having this great program And I learned very quickly that my program is the exception and Mm -hmm. not the norm of many pre-service teaching programs. Mm -hmm. Yep. (laughs) Yes. My my response is yes. No. And I, I, I love that, that like insight because I think a lot of our teachers, you know, once they finish our program, earn their credentials and they start their career, but you know, even as they're, beginning the the journey of of transitioning into like the real their real assignment of teaching and they they realize the same thing that not everyone uses the same language that we use right or um something as simple as uh you know people still use the term classroom management versus Uh our terminology of classroom ecology right and so it's like teaching them that you are such a small part of a huge system And this system is based on like hundreds of years of history, right? So you're not going to go in and like blow up the whole system, right? Like that's not what we teach you. It's about, you know, being, I guess, in relation to the people within your, your system, whether that's your students, their households, your colleagues, but how do you build relationships with folks that may not have the same, even ideologies as you do coming out of the university, right? You're teaching with some people who have been teaching for 30, 40 years. You are not going to change their mindset, right? And nor should you try. And so it's like, how do you teach new teachers who are coming out with a really, I think a different skill set, like you mentioned, there's a lot of universities and programs that use social justice or, or have social justice tenants built into their program. But that might look very differently, right, from one school to another. And so it's for us, it's teaching them that, you know, part of becoming a new teacher is immersing yourself into a huge ecosystem that you yourself don't have the capacity to change. Um, And so all you can do is lead from where you are, right? It's like, how do you just impact your students within your classroom and start to build relationships there? Um, so that you can have maybe more nuanced conversations with maybe folks who completely disagree with you or who are just learning as well, right? Maybe they just have never learned a different way of doing something. But it's always based in love and joy and and 
but I mean, fundamentally, that's what teaching should be, um, which we know, especially in the last three years, it has not been so fun and joyous for people. You know, but I think the strength of your school systems are the real trusting relationships that you're able to build. So we try to impress that upon them, which is hard for some yeah. of them. And I think about that too, especially when I was fresh into the classroom. I think I was like 20 going on 21 mm -hmm. and I had this great, this great program. And then I remember there was a, an expulsion hearing for one of my students that yeah. was part of this, you know, drug dealing circle. And I don't know if he was a part of it or just friends with the people. Next thing you know, he's up for expulsion and they're, they're moving forward with his expulsion. And in my head, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm sitting there in that meeting and yeah. I'm like, wait, we just got started with our unit. He's a great student. And, and I'm crying. Yeah. I started <laughs> crying in the middle yeah. of the meeting, like this 20, 21 year old grappling with the, the injustice of the mm -hmm. system and, and seeing it all play out. Like I've read right. about it. I, all my lads and Billings readings yeah. is coming to <laughs> life. Right like, in front of me. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, and I I just remember the principal at the time, great principal. However, he was like, you can't just cry like that in the middle. <laughs> what are you like, doing? Too late, too late. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, and you know, that's, I think that's a, when you come to that realization of like, like not to be negative or where you're like, no one, no one cares but me, right? Like you're the one crying in the corner. And, but, but it is, it's, it's the realization that you're in such a huge system, but it's also, how do you, how do you then sustain yourself? You know, and we talk a lot about that also is like, this isn't just about getting through your program, right. Or finishing your classwork, your coursework. It's really about how do you set yourself on a trajectory that's going to allow you to enjoy a sustainable career because we're trying to prevent burnout, right? Or um, something Something I just learned from uh, a scholar uh, right here at Cal State Dominguez Hills, Stephanie Cariaga, where she really just differentiates the difference between teacher burnout and teacher pushout, right? And like the difference is that for many people of color, the system kind of pushes you out, especially if you are trying to disrupt um, systems of oppression and racism and sexism, right? And there's not a lot of leeway for that in some school cultures. And so I think, you know, there's so much to consider right now, but it's, it's just amazing to me that there are still people who genuinely love the craft of teaching and are just so hungry to learn like how to do it better, which I think is super refreshing right now. <laughs> Hi, it's Lena, and I want to tell you all about our STEM for Real network. In our network, our educators, or who we like to call NETIs, incorporate culturally responsive science and math teaching using lesson study. Visit us at www.stemforreal.org forward slash partnership. That's stem4real.org forward slash partnership and learn more about how your school or district can partner with us and become our newest Netty for real. Yes, and, and you know, I'm seeing this, especially as uh, more entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs mm -hmm. are getting into the mm -hmm. spaces. Yeah. Um, I know one of our colleagues, we've been talking about um, rebuilding and reimagining classroom spaces. Yeah. 
And what a novel idea to, mm -hmm. to be able to completely transform our learning spaces to, to be welcoming, to be inclusive, and yep. to completely disrupt what we're used to seeing. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, we, we actually, I don't, I mean, I think you know this, but <laughs> two of our colleagues here at, at CGU have their own consulting company called Joyful Disruption, and it's Dr. Bermudez and Dr. Hatcock. And that is something that they actually did for one of the local districts in LA, LA Unified. They were through their professional development that smaller school district came and asked them like, okay, yes, you know, we're on board, right? With critical social justice. We understand the needs, the impact on our students and our, our communities. However, what does that look like, right? So exactly what you're saying, like, what does a classroom that we typically think of actually look like if you are really integrating those principles of social justice? So what does it look like to honor all kids' backgrounds, right? Or their cultural linguistic diversity. What does that look like? What does it look like to actually honor the different learning modalities of each of our kids? Kids who maybe don't wanna sit at a desk when they're writing, right? Or kids who might need some personal space and some time just alone. How do you create those spaces in your classroom? And so they actually created three model classrooms um, that we use when we're teaching some of our classes with our students to really do exactly what you just said is, if you're a science teacher or you're a math teacher, what does that look like? What does that look like if you're a special educator or if you're teaching the littles, right? And so there are so many creative ways and, and really reminding teachers that you need to have elements of yourself in your classroom environment. I mean, that's how you demonstrate vulnerability to your students. Yeah. You cannot expect them to show up and be vulnerable with you when you're not willing to practice and model that, right? So yeah, if you love dogs, how do you reflect that in your classroom, but in ways that feel good to you, right? We're not saying reveal everything about yourself, yeah. but just so that you can begin to build relationships. And so your classroom does feel more welcoming and more reflective of the people, right? We always tell the, the students, you know, you have to engage your students as human beings first before you engage them as students. Otherwise, it doesn't matter what you teach, right? If you don't really know who they are. Um, so yeah, I love that there is conversation around troubling the ways that we even just set up our classrooms. Yes. And I guess what is exciting and kind of sad to me is that one, I'm seeing it happen and, and I'm seeing these pockets of success. Mm -hmm. And yet I realize, oh gosh, they're pockets of success. Yeah. This is not <laughs> yeah, well into the 2000s, right? Yeah. We're still struggling. Yeah, yeah. And and even when I was doing um the ethnography project as a student, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was I was learning so much. We were conducting home visits. I was learning so much about the students and families that and the community that I got to yeah. work with. And then later I realized again, this is not the norm. This is not mm -hmm. the norm of a, a pre-service teaching program, or maybe right. some do, the but this comprehensive ethnography project of getting to know the history of Fontana and the history yeah, of the yeah. city and I that's that's what I always take back when mm -hmm. when I continue to teach it's like well, wait I don't have to just do this for my project like I can actually learn about yeah. the community every single year that I teach <laughs> yeah 
yeah. <laughs> yeah, we just had a, a that reminds me of a student we just had to finish the program last year and she would she spoke in her ethnographic narrative about how, you know, when she was thinking about designing her classroom, she was like, I wanted it to feel like a cafe, right? And she taught in East LA. And so she like set up this like super bougie corner and the kids never went in there. And then she's like, why? Right? Like, how come they're not going there? It's so fancy and this and that. And then she realized like they cannot relate to this at all. So she's speaks to how she found she went and did some research on the community and she found this like old school map of East LA and she put it up in her classroom in that corner and then all of a sudden all the kids were in there looking at like where their neighborhoods were and she's like duh like why would I think they would gravitate toward like fr a French cafe when I should have just done like what's in their backyard yes. so it was like a huge aha moment but I think you're right we always think of like you know, oh, we're gonna do all these fabulous things when really it's just like, just tap into the, the people who are right in front of you and where they come from and their backgrounds. And it's like magic, right? When kids know that you actually care about that stuff. Um, but yeah, it was so funny. She was like, oh, I feel like an idiot. Like it was so, you know, simple, but I'm like, no, that's like the realization we all come to, Yes. you know, yeah. It's, it, it came up to in Hawaii where we had um, a, a teacher came from out of state, came in and he was a history teacher and he decided to teach about the history of Hawaii and how America came and saved the people of Hawaii. And, and that's, <laughs> that's just how Hawaii came and we now are the 50th oh state. And, and of course, the community was just like, ah, and, yeah. and, and eventually, you know, they, they drove him out. And I remember even talking with other community members, they were like, poor guy was driven out. And in my head, I'm like, poor guy, know your audience? Like, right. Just Google it. Google it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That is hilarious and hor horrific at the same time. Well, and and in and his in his defense, he's like, I was just teaching the curriculum, yeah. and yeah. that is what so many of our new teachers too. And I don't know if he was a new teacher, but so many of our <laughs> teachers are like, I just was teaching right. what was given to me. Yeah, yeah, yep. And I I love that because I think one of the very like very simple things that you can do is you know we teach our new teachers like you you as a new teacher cannot go in and say. If your district says this is the curriculum we're using, or these are the books you're going to read as an English teacher, you do not have the luxury of saying, no, I'm not going to do that. You have a job to do and you are new, right? So it's like, how do you function? Like that is your job. Those are the parameters of your job. But there are ways that you can teach what you're supposed to be teaching, but in more humanizing ways, right? So something as simple as, okay, if we have to read this book, that we know maybe is not reflective of all of the students in our class, you can really start to ask your students things like, you know, well, who's who's left out of this story, right? Whose voices are not, not honored in this story? Or whose voices do we always tend to hear? Or whose perspectives, right? So it's like taking what they absolutely must do because they are mandated to do those things as district, um, you know, employees of their districts, but how can you do it in ways that just allow your kids even to like this idea of co-conspiring, right? It's like, how do you invite your kids into that curriculum, but
but saying like, let's honor that there are holes in it and what's missing and who, who can we include the next time we have to do this or read a story or whatever. Right. So I think you're absolutely right. It's, you're not going to go in there and change everything or absolutely say, no, you know, based on my social justice philosophy, I don't, I don't think we should be reading this story. If you're going to read it, read it, but then problematize it in ways that really allow the kids to engage with you at the same time. And I think that's what we talk about too, as you know, you, you talk about this concept of freedom dreaming and mm-hmm. reimagining what critical social justice spaces yeah. could look like. And sometimes when people hear the word, oh, social justice, it's an agenda. Right, and, right. And really, when you look at the definition of social justice, it's like, oh, a, a just society. Like, yeah. that's not bad no. at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And how do we teach that to our pre-service teachers? I mean, I feel like that's kind of what happened with the whole critical race theory, right? Like, it got just so twisted and mis- misunderstood because the tenets of that were really like, this is just a framework, right? Like, this is a framework. Yeah of one body of scholars that used a certain lens to look at something, but that got totally misconstrued in the message. So I think, you know, I think it's, it's really like, how do you invite people in to have conversations, right? Like, even if we, we sit down initially and we know we might disagree on some things, but it's ultimately we're all trying to move toward the same goal. So how do you, create spaces where people can actually engage in dialogue that is safe for people to push back and resist, right? I think that's a huge issue now is as soon as we sit down, everyone's just like firing away, right? It's like, I'm just going to defend my opinion and my, you know, point of view on this. And I'm not really creating space for you to express yours in ways that allow me to like pause and really listen to what you're saying. And then asking each other, like, okay, like, what are some ways that we actually agree on these things? Because I think there are a lot of times when we're like, we're saying the same things, maybe we're using different terminology, right? Um, But the foundation, as you mentioned, of social justice is really that. It's like working in community with other people. And, And actually when you're in educational spaces, it shouldn't be a space where everyone just agrees with each other. I mean, that's not a healthy space, right? I think that's fair to say because we're all unique and dynamic people and when you sit down to grapple with some of these really difficult or big ideas you're going to have varying opinions and you should but a lot of times it's like no one's saying like hey it's okay to push back or like not agree to this but why right like let's let's really frame it in a way of like okay if you're disagreeing with this what are some ways you can actually offer a counter idea right or a counter narrative to this that can still move the conversation yes and I think that that's really difficult for a new teacher to walk into a space where they want to apply everything that they've learned in our program Mm -hmm. and yet they're in this system that is very constricting Right. And, and being able to do that I think I go back to when I had just graduated and, you know, I think about the moments where I'm crying in a expulsion hearing or I'm, you know, just wanting to change the system and frustrated, yeah. frustrated with it. Yeah. Yet now, you know, almost 
a, a, a couple of decades in a few more gray hairs like now yeah. I have a little more confidence yeah. to be able to speak up and advocate right however it, it is definitely something that our new teachers are going to have to think about as they go into yeah. these spaces yeah you know we talked to them also about like the idea of cultural humility right it's like even as new teachers like yes okay we know what you know but again you're going into a system where there's a very distinct hierarchy right like let's not pretend that that doesn't exist and part of being in a system means that you have to humble yourself right as a new teacher you are new but just starting small and it's like just start with your classroom right start with your students um and if there's something that you want to try that you think you might be met with resistance because every school culture is so different it's like, do your homework. You have to do your due diligence, right? Is this whatever you're going to teach covered under the parameters of your standards, for example? And if not, figure out how to make it connected to your standards. Yes. So then you can go to your administrator and say, these are some of the things I want to do. And this is how it's going to benefit the kids in my class. So yeah, I think it's pairing your, your activist spirit with like your professional due diligence um, so that you can like start to make a little, it's just like chipping away, right? Like, I think we all, we want to start with these huge ideas, but it's like, how can you just start in your own classroom? Like just with a couple kids, it doesn't even have to be all of the kids at yeah. one time because yeah, they get overwhelmed super fast. And then it's like, oh, I don't even want to do this profession because there's so many things to think about. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just like, just start small, just start small. And that's one of the best parts about what the work that we do is, is, Again, wanting to encourage teachers to choose case study students, get to yeah. know them more. I mean, you'll you'll dig deep into our our process, and you're gonna say, hmm, "This sounds a lot like the Claremont <laughs> final project." Yeah, yeah, it great. It was so great to be. I able love to it. Get that lens. Like I remember one of the assignments that I had was go to go explore your community and see mm, yep. you know, the places to where people gather the places where where people eat and and it, again I I'm, I'm now a transplant I did the opposite I went from California <laughs> to Hawaii yeah and again I'm using those same ethnographic skills like okay yeah. where do people go where do people gather where are people um in community and I remember yeah. being in California so much of the work was let's get together and let's have a meeting and let's discuss the agenda and then I come here and people are like hey Lena I'd love to sit down and talk story with you <laughs> and I'm like okay, okay yeah I mean I love that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well and it it's like the simplest thing right but I think that's the stuff that people the I feel like the people that don't don't want to do they're always like oh we don't have time for that kind of stuff right like let's just jump into the work but it's like if you don't make time for that stuff, you, it doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what kind of work or projects or things that you want your teachers to do for you. Like if you genuinely don't connect to the community and understand the lens that people come from or with, it's like pointless, right? Like, what are we doing then? What are we doing? Who are we serving? No one, ourselves. We're just fulfilling our own agendas, yeah. which means absolutely nothing. Yeah, so I love that. And I remember when when you were speaking that um, one of the things that you said in your keynote was, we are teaching on stolen land. 
Right. And and that's everywhere. It's definitely, you know, yeah. a very raw history here in Hawaii and also in the States. Like yeah. just honoring and, and recognizing right. that. And I noticed that uh, a lot of people have a hard time coming to terms with that. Mm -hmm. Like there's this defense. Like I remember bringing it up and reiterating it and it was, well, that's capitalism. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like, oh. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I feel like that's kind of like the nature of of social justice right now, right? It's like just, just bringing up like, hey, does our curriculum reflect everybody? And then people are like, right? Like, like <laughs> people get so angry. It's, and, it, and then it becomes off-putting. And I think that's why a lot of people just don't want to talk about it, right. right? But it's like, okay, how do you pause that moment of like everyone just firing away and just saying like, all right, can we just ground ourselves first of all? And like, what are we doing? Like, what what is the point of the work we're doing? And minimally, right? And the most simplistic level, it's it literally. I, I will always believe this, and anyone can argue, but it always is about service, right? It's like, especially with indigenous communities or people communities of color, it's like, how do you give them what they need so that they can go back to their communities and help their communities thrive? Period. Like, there's nothing else after that. Like, if you're not doing that, then what are you doing? Because you are not serving those students and their households and their community. And if you don't serve your school community, you're not serving your greater community, right? Mm -hmm. Like we know that. We know that schools are a model for what's happening within your neighborhood communities. So I think people get so caught up in all the, you know, like the head work, but it's like teaching is always gonna be about the heart, always. And the people who are like, oh, we don't have time for all that fluffy stuff. That's why you're missing the boat. Because yeah. you're not engaging the needs of the people that you're serving. And that should be the point of our profession. So, so much of that. I think that I remember when I first started teaching, it was, all right, we've got, we've got standards. Mm-hmm. Let's go. I, yep. you know, I've got the standard. I've got the objective. And the, the idea of building relationships and building community was mm-hmm. this ancillary thing. Like, yeah. okay, that will come later. And yeah. it wasn't a priority. And then I remember seeing other teachers where the first day of school, they just talked and got to know each other. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I remember, I remember one of the, our students asked me once, like, so how many days a week do you do this like relationship building? I'm like, no, like, you know, it's not like an activity. <laughs> like, I mean, yes, you're going to have activities to build relationships, but like, it should be like organically something that you just do, right? It's so cute because they're like, so how many days do I have to do building relationships? <laughs> oh my gosh. Formula. Oh my right. God. Exactly. Funny. So oh. we, I think I align a little more with your sister. I need, uh, I need my students to hit seventh grade and then they can talk to me there's right. something happened happens below <laughs> and I have I'm so grateful I have a wonderful team that can handle the littles and I know people like yeah. you that handle it what do you think that age is a factor when we talk about social justice issues in the curriculum is there is there do we need to be mindful of that I think I, I think yes and no right I think that any grade level you can you can address, reflect, how, whatever you want to call it, social justice practices, no matter how old the kids are. 
obviously though, how do you do that in ways that are appropriate to their age, to what they are experiencing? And that is a little different, right? Like talking about racism looks very different if you're in a middle school versus like a kindergarten classroom. Yeah. But I think the the argument of like, oh, you know, the kids, the kids can't, like the littles are not ready for that, right? Like, I don't think they're mature enough. Like they understand the difference between similarities and differences. Like you can have conversations about who's included, who's excluded. Like kids are very savvy about that. And to think that they can't or they are not ready for some of those very like simplistic tenets of that's what racism is based on, right? It's on saying, you all are different and we're going to treat you differently based on whatever, the color of your skin, the color of your hair, whatever. Kids understand that. Now, how do we make that relative to what they're experiencing? That's a different conversation, but you absolutely can, you can address it in ways that are appropriate and feel good to that setting. I think the majority of the time, it's the adults who are uncomfortable, right? It's not the kids who are uncomfortable. The kids are already talking about it, especially, you know, in upper elementary, middle high school, they, and they have access to everything. Yeah. So I just feel like it's a crime for us to just say, oh, you know, we don't talk about this in school right. because the kids are already experiencing things, especially in this time, you know, they are like, kids are so involved in community organizations and activism in clubs in you know organizing their own things it's like how do you just bridge that for them right or like you said how do we just talk about it in school in ways that are still connected to what they're supposed to be learning but that honor their their lived experiences because they are experiencing stuff whether we are ready to talk about it or not um and so I think a lot of times it's just how do we get comfortable, right? right? And, if, and if you're going to talk about it, you can't just on the whim talk about it. It's like, again, doing your due diligence of like, okay, if I want to talk about Native American history, where do I start? Like, you better do your homework before you decide right. to bring it up in a classroom. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I always talk about about our program when I was a student and now I have you know this honor and privilege to come back as you know a professor in the program and for the most part I mean there have been some changes here and there and there's me struggling with canvas and, <laughs> and having to save me here and there all of us <laughs> <laughs> for the most part it's been a very uh it, the the tenants are there in that yeah. you know the the it's a very consistent program and yet i i also do see that it is the exception i i know you mentioned that there are some other programs that are talking about it mm-hmm. about social justice what do you think we're doing right and and mm-hmm. what do you think there are other other programs can see as they prepare their pre-service teachers yeah what are we doing right i think I think we, you know, and again, right, we're, we're a smaller program. And so I think we have the luxury of being really intimately involved, not just with our students, but also with, you know, the people who are overseeing like their student teaching. We have a lot of professional development for those individuals who are teaching full-time and also taking on our students as student teachers. Um, Then we also have people who are overseeing that partnership, right? So it's like, there's advisors, Um, who, again, provide another layer of support. So I think, A, it's 
that we provide the professional development, but also in ways that really build community and allow our professionals to level up, right? Like we like to use that term a lot. It's like we have some phenomenal veteran teachers, some of them administrators are working in different capacities and it allows them to really delve into the social justice practices because it's a learning for everyone, right? So it's yeah. not just, and I feel like we learn also every year as we go through another iteration of a new cohort because yeah. there are new things that arise. One thing that I think we're doing really well is honoring the social emotional wellness of our students. So it's like they have their coursework, they're working full time as student teachers, right? They're in schools all day long. Then they come home, they have class online with us all night. And then they hit the roller coaster where they realize, like, this is hard. Like, this is hard. Not just the coursework, but the actual teaching practice, right? And they're not even full time teachers. But they're realizing like the rigor of the the daily schedule. They're realizing how much emotional capacity it takes to hold space for kids. They're realizing how hard the systematic things are. And I think we do a really good job at honoring their wellness by giving them specific tools that they can use to take a time out when they need to, if they need to step back and catch a breather we really have done the work of decolonizing our own syllabus. So looking at things like, you know, assignment deadlines, right? It's like, we give grace. If people say, you know, I got sick this week or I had something come up, we extend grace because the whole point is you're an adult learner. I don't need to micromanage when you do every assignment. As long as I feel like you're doing what you need to do on the clinical side, you're showing development and growth turn your assignment in whenever you want, you know? And so we have conversations with them about the humanizing aspect of teaching because that's usually the thing that goes out the window, right? I mean, you think about all the teachers, which is I think in some of the research about burnout where teachers never take days off because they're so worried about if I'm out, then I have to worry about this and I have to do all my plans. I might as well just go to work, right? Um, And so it's like, just, I think, treating them as human beings first before we treat them like graduate students um, and helping them balance because developing that work-life balance is like a real thing. And no one talks about that. No one helps you, you know, like, how do you calendar yourself? Like, we talk about that with them. Um, And it's not just calendaring work and school, but it's calendaring, like, your life, right? If you have birthday parties or you have weddings or you have whatever, like, you have to factor those things in so that you can achieve balance and then hopefully sustain yourself. So I think that's the one thing that a lot of folks don't talk about. And in terms of other programs, I think the one thing that is usually missing is there's a lot of theory, right? We give a lot of educational theory and background, and then we don't bridge that with the methodology piece. So it's like, usually your pre-service programs are, here's the theory and everyone's like, yes, yes, yes. And then we talk about like, here's the methods, here's all the stuff you have to do, right? If you're a science teacher, if you're an elementary teacher, here's all your 5,000 standards. Now go do it, right? And there's kind of a gap between like, how do I take the theory and like pair that with my content and my curriculum and then deliver it in ways that (laughs) sustain social justice practices? Like that's a whole different conversation. So I feel like we try our best to pair those two things so that there's a lot of practical application for them. 
I remember having that thought for a second. I was I was teaching and I and I'm thinking, oh, Vygotsky said that you would learn this if I do this. Yeah, yeah now what? <laughs> oh, I, I love that. And I, I do want to go back to what you said about how our program, I don't know if it's a self-selection or it attracts a different yeah fabric of a, a pre-service teacher it's just I, and, and like I said I didn't know the yeah. what the program was going to be like I just said oh you know this sounds like a great deal sign me up <laughs> sign me up and, and yet some people they do know they they they're aware of our our reputation um yeah. how what would you say to someone like to a pre-service teacher out there or someone who wants to be a teacher yeah, no, I love this question because, you know, we, because like I said, we are a very small team. So we take turns doing our admissions interviews for, for people who are interested in our program. And a lot of times, you know, we have students who they're pretty well versed in terms of, you know, they're looking at different schools and universities and they're looking at different programs. And that is one of the questions that we ask them is why, why are you looking at CGU, right? Like, what is it about our program, whether it's mission mission, vision, philosophy, whatever, the majority of our students are referred by word of mouth, which is a great thing to know. Yeah. So yeah, I think that speaks a lot to the product itself and what current teachers who recently finished our program have to share with other people. And they're telling other people within their networks, like, you need to go here, right? So we have, a, we've even had moms who are like, my son finished your program like two years ago. And I, you know, I'm just getting back in and I want to like go back to school. And I think this is what I want to do. So we always say like, bring your mom. <laughs> yes. That's part of our recruiting strategy. Um, no, and I, you know, so I love listening to, to the candidates who are like, you know, I've looked at this school, I'm looking at USC, I'm looking at, you know, other small schools and, and, they okay first of all you know this we can't take credit for but they love the campus right they love the intimate learning setting but they also just love like logistically love the campus at claremont so yeah. that i think works in our favor um but you know i think the one thing that they always say is that there's a social justice component that they know is really with authenticity built into the program, right? So it's not just the catchphrase that we're using, that we really try to model, even from the time we interview folks, we try to model social justice practices. So we often hold our interviews in, you know, we have a kind of centered um, conversation around some literature that we provide ahead of time, but it's really a conversation, right? So I always tell people, think of this as just like, like this, right? Like a, a personal conversation you know, don't feel like we're trying to catch you saying the right or the wrong thing. Yeah. It's really just about, about getting to know you and your genuine vision for yourself. Like, why do you want to teach? And if you want to teach math, why is it math? Right. And so I think it's, it's additionally, I will say this also that we've had probably a handful of folks who, you know, three or four months into the program, that they'll tap out and they'll say, you know what? I, I realize this is not for me. And I so appreciate that. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that because you're not being authentic to yourself, but you're also, there's no way you can stand up in front of a room full of kids and be inauthentic every day. You're going to be miserable. That's like a horrible career for you. Like, this is not, this is not it. And, and I love the people who realize 
the amount of work that this craft takes and to be able to say this this is not what I thought it was going to be and this is not something that I can handle. So I think we're really also gracious with that, right? Instead of just being like, okay, bye. We really try to have conversations with folks about like, all right, if this is not it, maybe it's another capacity, right? Maybe it's tutoring yeah. or yeah. in another capacity, you're able to work with kids, um, but not necessarily within the system of education. So I think for pre-service teachers, we really try to be as honest as we can without scaring them. Yeah. Um, but also just, you know, really trying to get to know people and and understanding what their professional trajectory is. And then and and then honestly saying, we think this is a good match for you. Or, you know what, this is probably not a good match for you, but maybe go try another school, right? Um, because I think the social justice component, it's it's hard work personally. It's yeah. not just you coming and doing the thing with your students. It's really about unpacking your own positionality and spending time thinking about how that impacts the kind of teacher you're going to become. And for a lot of people, that's really uncomfortable work because it's hard. It's hard. Yes. And it, it comes up even in our, our classes when we have when we reflect on that and we think yeah. about our own identities. And, and sometimes our students have never been tasked with that right so it comes up but there's like all this trauma that yeah that comes up even when we were talking I remember we were talking about uh why we teach biology instead of chemistry and mm -hmm. so many of them were like don't take me back to chemistry yeah it's like thinking yeah. about how they were just felt how they felt and, and yep. where that comes from yeah it's like it, it it's helping them understand right that really teaching isn't just about like you as the teacher delivering your content it's it is really bi-directional, right? It's yes, you're delivering the content, but it's also like, how are you helping your students like really fall in love with the scholars that they're learning from, right? So it's like, yeah, like if we're teaching science, like what kind of scientists are we learning from? Who are the people in our field that we're learning from? And if they tend to usually be old dead white people, then maybe we should diversify those folks, right? Like yeah. who are we learning from? And then, yeah, how do you help kids develop a relationship with that content um, because that's something that nobody ever like I know I never had a teacher ask me that it was just like here's what you're learning and then yeah. you're kind of like Ugh, this is not meaningful to me at all but okay yeah so I love that that you said that because I think that's super important yeah, well, and I think about, you know, the people I know, I'm, you know, talking, talking about Claremont, Claremont, you know, but I, I of course, there are many pre-service teachers that have not gone to Claremont and, and new teachers, what is something that they can do, you know, tomorrow, something that they can just kind of take on and say, all right, I'm in this position, what mm -hmm. can I do? Yeah, I think, Something that I'm big on, um, obviously because of my own culture and history, is you know don't if when when you're really planning your lessons, right, or or thinking about okay, you know I'm gonna have to plan this unit out or this thematic unit. I, I think it's important that we don't tell ahistorical stories, right? So it's always I love, I love just the idea of if I'm gonna introduce this topic, like really like going back and schooling myself on what is the history of this, right? So something as simple as like, okay, we want to talk about students with disabilities, right? Like, let's just say this conversation. And it's always like, all right, you can talk about special education like now as the static thing. But if you really want to understand like the complexities around it 
and we're talking about social justice, like access for students with disabilities or individuals with disabilities, you really have to first go backwards and look at like the history of special education, right? It was never designed for everyone. Like school was never designed for everyone and special education became a thing that happened outside of the schoolhouse, right? So it's like, in order to understand the inequities that kids have right now or parents and households, you have to have that, that historical conversation because parents and households were never ever included. They didn't care. They told you, your kid cannot go here. You take right. your kid somewhere else, which was usually an institutionalized hospital, right? So it's like, I think being mindful as you prepare your content or your curriculum of what is the history behind this topic and how is that relevant to what's happening right now? Because a lot of times there's no history attached, right? It's like, oh, let's just talk about this thing but there's not, you can't, you can't trouble that, right? Because you, you're not giving the context, the, the real context. And then I think something that's super simple that we try to do at Claremont all the time, but I try to do it more meaningfully now, no matter who I'm working with, is we like to call it being casually critical. But I think how easy is it when you're working on something and you're citing scholars or you're citing the work of someone else to just show people of color? Like, there are a gazillion people of color doing the same research as all the white folks in the room, but whether it's math, science, history, or we're reading literature in the littles, right? Why are we not reading books that show them diverse faces? Yeah, I don't, I mean, that's so simple. The power of the read aloud to me when you're in the littles is like, you could do a gazillion things with a read aloud. Yeah. Right. You can take that conversation so many places. And now is such a great time because there's so many phenomenal authors of color writing literature, kids literature, literature for middle schoolers. Like, why are we just not diversifying the perspectives? Right. Like that, that's it. Like, if you don't know where to go with anything else, I think it's just look at what you're teaching and ask yourself, like, whose perspective is not included in this story? Right. Right. But it's not that difficult to pick up a book with black and brown faces rather than showing kids people that they cannot relate to at all. Yeah. Like that's the easiest place to start in my opinion. You know, I, I could talk all day. I just thought, you know, this is, and it's crazy. Yeah. Like you're saying these simple things that yeah, can be, that can be applied. I want to share, I want to end with one of my favorite stories that you shared. And this was on your graduation from your your doctoral program oh my and, gosh I don't even remember this <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna brace myself <laughs> and, and you, you had this moment where you got on stage and all of a sudden like you just felt your ancestors oh and, yes yes I I would love for you to share that story of like how why that was so important for you yeah I think I think in the simplest form for for so many people of color who are you know whether it's graduate programs or it's jobs right that that you're just infiltrating systems that really did not reflect you for years upon years upon years and then you realize i think there's a there's a point where you realize like oh man maybe maybe this is a mistake i mean i literally to the day that until i walked and i already had my degree but it was that still that fear of like Oh, they're gonna take it away, right? Something's <laughs> gonna happen. Something's gonna happen, and I'm not, I'm not gonna be legit, right? Yeah. But I think that's always the fear that some of us navigate the world with it or, or holding on to because you're just not used to seeing people who look like you 
doing the thing right and so i think your presence there in and of itself even if you do nothing else like your presence alone is resistance right it is disruption because you're really just disrupting the view of what that looked like right and so i think for me when i graduated it was like i'm gonna go on that stage and minimally just me being me i am resisting right i am resistance i am a symbol of disruption and resistance but i'm also someone who lives out loud and i believe that it's it's time for people of color or people who just have not had their voices amplified that we make noise when we're in the spaces that we're in and so for myself that just looked like what a traditional like polynesian looks like when you're in a space and you want people to know that you're there it's just some it's like honor honor the presence of people who look like me and so you know so when i got my diploma i just had to do a super super loud and in in samoan we call it a fa'umu, right but in in hawaii everybody's like if you chihu that means like you're like you're in the space right and so i just had to like let it out and that's exactly what it was yes yes uh connecting to the ancestors honoring that time and space and yes just like you know, your hope is always that there's a little girl or, you know, someone sitting looking who just says like, oh, shoot, I could do that. Right. If she's over there, I could do that, too. And that that's all it is. That's all it is. I think we need more of it. I love it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this, this conversation was a gift. Thank you so, Thank so you. much. Thank you. I miss Sandra. you. Yes. <laughs> Yes, same. Come back. Yeah, keep me looped into your work. I love hearing about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for tuning in to Teaching STEM for Real, where as you can see, we keep it for real for our STEM educators. If you enjoyed it, make sure that you are subscribed for our future content and please leave us a five-star rating and review. I hope you loved hearing about the why. And now let's talk about the how. Let's partner together and do this work. Visit our website at www.stemforreal.org forward slash partnership. That's stem4real.org forward slash partnership. Until then, keep teaching STEM for real.